Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Accept One Another, the Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, September 14, 2014. During the darkest days of his public disgrace, the televangelist Jim Baker found some unexpected friends. The evangelist Billy Graham and his wife Ruth Bell Graham. Back in 1989, Baker was convicted on 24 counts of fraud and sentenced to 45 years in prison. At the time, his PTL ministry had annual revenues of $170 million. 3,000 employees, and television programs that aired in 52 countries. His wife at that time, Tammy Faye, was never indicted for wrongdoing. Baker's 20-minute tryst with Jessica Hahn and the $265,000 he paid to keep it quiet were fodder for late-night comedians. The scorn and ridicule were merciless. Baker's conviction was appealed twice, but never overturned. His sentence was reduced twice, but even an early parole was denied. And so he served almost five years in prison. In 2013, Jim Baker and his second wife, Lori, visited the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. While there, they laid flowers on the grave of Ruth. Lori remembers the Grams as what she calls valley-walking friends with Jim when he went through some very rough trials. Billy visited Jim in prison several times. The first Sunday after Jim was released from prison, Ruth hosted him at her own church, and in an obvious display of public support, she sat with him. Jim and Lori attended Ruth's 80th birthday celebration in 2000. Lori recalls how, quote, when Jim introduced us, Ruth Graham reached up from her wheelchair and cradled my face in her hands. You're so beautiful, she said. God handpicked you for Jim. I was so touched by her words, I nearly cried. I managed to thank her for what she had done for my husband and for being such a great example as a woman of God. Ruth Bell Graham was rooted in reality. Despite her husband's fame, she had both feet on the ground. While Billy golfed with presidents and traveled six months a year, she stayed at home and raised five children. She also wrote a dozen books. She was a feisty woman with a sharp wit. When an interviewer once asked her if she had ever considered divorce, <clears throat> she responded, No, I've never thought of divorce in all these 35 years of marriage, but I did think of murder a few times. We all need a Ruth Bell Graham someone who will speak to us with clarity and conviction 
about God's unconditional forgiveness. And we all need to be a Ruth Bell Graham to others. In the Gospel this week, Peter asked Jesus, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? It's a loaded question when you remember that Peter denied ever knowing Jesus and later deserted him. No doubt Peter was proud to appear so extraordinarily merciful as to forgive someone seven times. But Jesus exploded Peter's arithmetic of forgiveness. God's pardon far exceeds even our most exaggerated ideas about forgiveness. Jesus told a parable about an unmerciful servant who received forgiveness for his million-dollar debt. But then, instead of forgiving a tiny debt that he himself was owed, he imprisoned his debtor. Jesus told us to forgive not merely seven times, but 77 times, or maybe seven, 70 times seven. Divine, given, divine forgiveness given and received is beyond calculation or comprehension. It was so flabbergasting to the original audience that later scribes couldn't agree on what numbers Jesus had actually said. Forgiveness on that scale is wildly disproportionate to the sincerity of the penitent or the seriousness of their offense. Anyone who seeks serial forgiveness makes us question their motives. But Jesus says it doesn't matter. We still forgive them. Later, after his resurrection, Jesus restored Peter as they sat around a charcoal fire. No doubt a painful reminder of the charcoal fire when he betrayed Jesus at his crucifixion. St. Augustine once commented, Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. He then observed, Do not presume. One of the thieves was damned. Jesus linked receiving forgiveness with offering forgiveness in a law, sort of law of reciprocity. We can expect divine forgiveness in the measure that we extend human forgiveness. He said, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Similarly, in the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We can only long for ourselves what we lavish upon others. In this week's epistle, Paul says that we should never look down on another person. That is, despise, scorn, or treat a person with contempt. This same word occurs 11 times in the Greek New Testament and was used by Jesus, who warned us about people who are, quote, confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. The early monastics were adamant on this point. 
The monk, says Moses, must never judge his neighbor at all, in any way, whatever. Instead of judging others, God calls us to protect them, say the monastics. They said of Abba Macarius that just as God protects the world, so Abba Macarius would cover the faults he saw as though he did not see them, and those he heard as though he did not hear them. The reason for this is an awareness of both human nature and the character of God. Saint Maximus, the confessor of the seventh century, says, the person who has come to know the weakness of human nature has gained experience of divine power. Such a person never belittles anyone. He knows that God is like a good and loving physician who heals with individual treatment each of those who are trying to make progress. And so Paul writes in the epistle for this week, accept one another just as God has accepted you. Similarly to the Ephesians, he wrote, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you visit the grave of Ruth Bell Graham in Charlotte, you'll find a simple granite stone with an inscription that she herself requested. It says, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Ruth Bell Graham once said, What a marvelous image for the Christian life, a work under construction until we go to be with God. That's what I want as my epitaph. As works under construction who need the patience of others to the very end, let us freely give and receive the extravagant forgiveness that Jesus commends. For books this week, I review a title by Gary Anderson. The title is called Charity, the Place of the Poor in the Biblical Tradition. New Haven, Yale University Press, 2013. 222 pages. In his previous book called Sin, A History, from the year 2010, Gary Anderson showed how by the end of the Old Testament period, the idea of sin changed from a weight or burden on your back to that of a debt that a person must repay. And so we have the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts. This new book continues his exploration of this economic metaphor. In particular, Anderson tries to show how almsgiving is not just a utilitarian act of social justice to help the poor. Bill Gates, for example, does that. And not only an ethical act done purely out of principle and altruism with no element of self-interest or expectation or of reward, as in Immanuel Kant, and not even merely a sign of a believer's personal faith, per the Protestant reformers. Rather, for Anderson, who's a Catholic professor of Old Testament at Notre Dame, 
Almsgiving is a merit-worthy deed that enjoys pride of place as the privileged way to serve God. Anderson focuses especially upon the Jewish books of Tobit and Sirach, along with two texts that speak of a treasury in heaven. Matthew chapter 6 and the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10. For Anderson, texts like these and others like Matthew 25 and Proverbs 19.17 are to be understood literally and not metaphorically. There is a spiritual reward for our financial generosity. God will repay the loans we have made to him. He defends the doctrine of purgatory and the notion that merits can be transferred. He responds to the strong Protestant rejections of these ideas, as in the works of Sanders and Borkham, but he always does so in a non-polemical, if unapologetic, manner. When we give to the poor, our sacramental acts reveal important things about the character of God, the world he made, and his people. Gary Anderson, Charity, the Place of the Poor in the Biblical Tradition. For film this week, we go to the country of Israel in a marvelous movie series called The Story of the Jews. It's five episodes by PBS and the BBC, 2014. Simon Shama is a British professor at Columbia University, the author of 15 books and winner of an Emmy. In these five episodes, he tells the story of 3,000 years of Jewish history. Each of the five episodes is about 50 minutes long. You can watch the entire series online for free at pbs.org. The theme that connects the 3,000 years is what it means to be a Jew and how one stays a Jew in a non-Jewish world and in the face of annihilation and assimilation. The Israeli imagination, jokes one person, is paranoia confirmed by history. One stays Jewish, says Shama, by fidelity to and even a compulsive loyalty for the sacred story found in the Mosaic Law. By the time of the last episode and the founding of the Jewish state after the Holocaust, Shama admits that the Jewish dream of ethical idealism struggles with the historical realities of raw political power. I recommend this series with unqualified enthusiasm. The video series is based upon Shama's two-volume books of the same title. The Story of the Jews with Simon Shama, PBS and the BBC. And for poetry this week, we've posted a wonderful poem by J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien lived from 1892 
1973. The poem is called All Ye Joyful. Sing, all ye joyful, now sing all together. The winds in the treetop, the winds in the heather. The stars are in blossom, the moon is in flower, and bright are the windows of night in her tower. Dance, all ye joyful, now dance all together. Soft is the grass, and let foot be like feather. The river is silver, the shadows are fleeting. Merry is Maytime, and merry are meeting. Sigh no more pine till the wind of the moon. Fall moon, dark be the land. Hush, hush, oak, ash, and thorn. Hushed by all water till dawn is at hand. J.R.R. Tolkien, All Ye Joyful. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, September 14th, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.